I want to thank all the great volunteers, children's ministry workers, media people, um, everybody, ushers, greeters, everybody that worked for um, Easter last week. It was a great day for all of us, and uh, I want to thank you for making it that way. God bless you for your faithfulness. Um, it's kind of like a family reunion because you kind of get everybody together and on one day, and it's really fun. So we had a fun time, and I want to thank you for that. And today I start a new series entitled Blueprint, thus I have a blueprint, right? And I want to talk to you about uh, building your faith, your family, your finances, and your future. And I'll take that over the next few weeks. So I'm looking forward to, to sharing with you about that. Um, so anyway, this is a blueprint of this church. Um, so... That's what it's all about right there. And so 30 years ago, can you believe that? 30 years ago, we were building this very church. And uh, this is the blueprint that we built it off of, and we still have to go back to it from time to time to uh, re reference it. Like when we put these new theater seats in, we had to have this blueprint so they could lay it out again with fresh new seats. By the way, how do you like these theater seats we got going on here? Wow, they're pretty nice, huh? And um, so Linda Buford uh, took these original drawings, which were not done on AutoCAD because that was 30 years ago. And um, she came back and drew us a new set of drawings. And we're going to do some revisions on the front of the church, uh, kind of freshen it up and make it look a little new and a, a little fresher. We're looking forward to that. And so, um, Albert, why are you calling me? Huh? I'm not calling you, you calling me. My phone's ringing, not yours. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. <laughs> anyway, so what in the world was I saying before my phone rang? Um, so anyway, we're working out front and we're working on the landscaping. Uh, just time to revitalize and refresh that and then talking about making strate some strategic changes on the architectural design in the front. And uh, looking forward to that. I think it's time after 30 years. We built a half a dozen churches since this one was built, maybe more. And it's time for us to put our emphasis back on this building. And you know, we're doing Triumph Loves Kids, and you guys have been really generous. I'll give you the financial report on that next week. But we've, uh, we, this week we ordered carpet for that upstairs for all of our children's ministry. So everything you give to Triumph Loves Kids from hereafter, we're going to try to put that toward the carpet, get some brand new carpet up in our children's ministry area so it'll be fresh and new and just what we need. And so uh, thank you for all of that. Just wanted you to know what's going on and what we're doing to, to make Triumph Church even better, okay? So thank you for your help and all those things. I'll keep you, keep you updated. And so, uh, all right, now, who's calling me now? Renee. Are y'all working against me or what? I got some distractors down here on the front row. <laughs> All right. Okay. So anyway, I want to talk to you about uh, building your faith, your family, your finances, and your future, and how important it is to have a blueprint for whatever you're going to build. A blueprint is something you do before you start building, so you know when you're finished that it's going to turn like, out like you wanted it to. You know, you have to have a set of blueprints to know 
of how to build and where to build. Unfortunately, sometimes in life, we just start living life, and we never stop to really think about what kind of life we want to live, and never really draw up a blueprint that kind of guides us and, and gives us an idea as to what the uh, end of the... All right, now, this is going ridiculous. Darren? What are you guys doing? I am not. All right. I am not calling anybody. No more calls this morning. Y'all playing against me today. Yes, y'all are. Y'all conniving against me. All right. Let's go. What was I saying now? <clears throat> and so when you start your life, you need to have an idea of what you want your life to be. What kind of life are you building? What do you want it to look like? Sometimes people get to the end of their life and they look back with a great deal of regrets. Wishing they could have planned a little better and made some strategic decisions better. Other people look back and with a great sense of accomplishment and like... Wow, what a great life it turned out to be. But everybody needs a blueprint. And so in these teachings, I want to talk to you a little bit about a blueprint um, to help you build the kind of life you want to build, especially in the area of your faith, your finances, your family, and your future. When I was a little guy, I had a lot of dreams and plans like all of you did, I'm sure. And I had a pretty good idea of what I wanted, to, the life I wanted to live. And I, I never wrote it down until I was in my teenage years. I began to jot down some things that I was hoping for. But I had a very clear picture in my mind, and I had, unknowingly, a blueprint of what I wanted my life to be. I wanted to be a churchman. Dad was a churchman. Um, he was a faithful Christian, hard worker in the church, like Wes and Jeannie serving everywhere they could serve, doing everything they could do. And I loved my dad. I admired my dad, and I wanted to be like him. My dad was a churchman. I wanted to be a churchman. I had a great Christian family. I loved my life. I enjoyed growing up. I had fun. We were safe. We were happy. We had problems, but I don't remember what they were. We just had so many good things it didn't matter. I wanted to have a Christian family. I wanted to be, raise my kids in a Christian home. I wanted to continue the life that my mother and dad had given me. I wanted to continue that. That was in my blueprint. Um, my mom's here today. Don't you look beautiful? Stand up, Mom. Show them your Easter dress. Come on. Look at this. Come on, Mom. Isn't that beautiful? Woo! I love that dress. Glad to have her here today. So I wanted a wife like my mom. I wanted somebody that loved God, loved the kids, and, and could build a home like I grew up in. And that's a wonderful thing to say, you know what, I love my family, I love my life, and I want to I continue it into my future. But that's the mindset that, that I was in. And uh, I wanted a godly wife, a godly mother. I wanted to serve God. You know, I remember my dad, he, he did everything he could do in a church besides be the pastor. He led songs, and he had usher, and he worked with the children's ministry, and, and um, you know, worked on the building, and did everything he could, and and I wanted to be that kind of a person. And I wanted to be a part of what God was doing in the earth. I, anything God was doing, I wanted to be on it. And this was the blueprint of my life. And so, you know, when I started getting into an age of, of looking for a wife and getting serious about that, uh, you know, I wanted a wife that fit my blueprint. I wanted a wife that wanted to live the life I wanted to live. 
So Renee and I had our first date in Fort Worth, Texas in 1975, and we ended up talking and talking and talking, and I began to share with her my blueprint. I began to share with her the kind of life I wanted to live and what I wanted to do, and, and she began to share with me the kind of life she wanted to live and the kind of uh, home she wanted to have. Come to find out that, that our blueprints were very similar and that our blueprints matched, and, and what she wanted was what I wanted. And even though our personalities in then and now are, are, are nearly opposite, our blueprints are the same. Our value system, the desire, the kind of life we want to live is very much the same. And I just think that's a real key in life is if, if you know what kind of life you want to live, find a man or a woman appropriately that fit the life you want to live. Don't marry someone that doesn't want to live the life you want to live. It's not going to work. So you need a blueprint, young people. You need an idea. You don't have to have all the details and figure it all out now. But you've got to have a general plan about what kind of life you want to live. So marry a wife that kind of fits your blueprint. And, you know, if you want to be an engineer, at some point you've got to enroll in college and study engineer. And if you want to be a doctor, at some point you've got to go to school learn how to be a doctor. So if you've got a blueprint... You've got to do things that point you in the right direction and help you get started along the road of life. But it begins by saying, this is the kind of life I want to live. This is what I want out of my life. And this is where uh, I want to go. So I'm talking to you about Blueprint. And today, I want to talk to you about building your faith. All right? Now... So the word faith is a big word in our English vocabulary. It's a big word in the Bible. Um, it generally refers in this in 21st century. If somebody talks about their faith, they're probably talking about their religious beliefs. That's what faith, in the most general sense, is. It's someone's religious belief. It's it's who they believe God is. It's uh, what they believe about God and how that applies to their life. And so, in a, a most general sense. It's about faith. And let me tell you something. That's entirely biblical because your Bible talks about your faith as encompassing what you believe about God and how that affects your life. So it's, it's a good term. But in today's world, faith could mean any faith, any religion, any God, any, anything because it's, it's a wide open term. When I refer to my faith, I'm referring to Jesus Christ and the Bible, period. Christianity, no, nothing more, nothing less. And so uh, that's the way I'll be talking to you today is about your faith, your faith in God, your faith in Jesus Christ, and how that impacts your life. You need to know that whatever you believe is going to determine not only the life you live here, but it's going to determine all of your eternity. So whenever this life's finished, whatever you have believed in this life is going to determine where you're going to spend eternity, and how you're going to spend eternity. So there's really no more important subject than the subject of our faith. We have to believe the right thing if we want to live the right life, and we want to end up in the right place after we die. What you believe determines your life here and your uh, eternity. And remember, the faith that I'm talking about is not just simply mentally agreeing or checking off or nodding your head saying, yeah, I believe that, but it's the kind of faith that that begins to form your life, form the person you are, and create your character and your value system. So just saying, you know, I believe that, but it, having no effect is not the kind of faith that saves you or the kind of faith that's going to determine your future. So just mentally agreeing is not going to get it, but it has to be a faith that you apply to your life and changes your life to match it. When I talk about faith, I'm talking about an absolute truth. 
Now, America, we have gradually gone toward a direction that says that, you know, whatever your faith is is your business, and whatever faith is is okay, and you can choose whatever faith you want, whatever religion you want. You can choose to believe anything you want. It's all up to you because you have rights and you know, all that. But remember this, there is an absolute truth. And outside the perimeters of absolute truth, everything else is a lie. Truth is absolute. Not being harsh or dogmatic, just trying to be truthful. There is the truth, and then there's everything else. And either it's in the perimeter of the truth, or it's simply not the truth, it's a lie. And that's the context of Scripture as you read it. There's the truth, and then there's the lie. The truth was totally, uh, Jesus embodied the truth. The Bible is the truth. And we're constantly going back to the truth. I want to have my faith in the truth. Because if I believe a lie, then automatically I'm condemned and death and damnation is coming into my life in any area that I believe a lie. So it's important that I believe, I believe the truth. Because Jesus said the truth would set you free. The, the psalmist said, buy the truth and sell it not. Buy the truth. In other words, buy into the truth. Embrace the truth. Accept the truth. Cling to the truth. Build your life on the truth. And don't give it up for any reason. As cultures progress, society changes, truth gets more and more mixed with a lie. And we're all struggling with the mixture of the truth versus the lie. God help us to find the truth and sink the teeth of faith into it. So faith is a huge word in the Bible. If you look up your concordance, faith is there hundreds of times. If you want to study faith, you can start today and not finish by the end of the year because it's just so much there about uh, faith. One of the most often used words in the Bible. Um, the Apostle Paul said it like this, there are three, th three things that will last forever. So he boiled it down to three very important things. 1 Corinthians 13 and 13, he said, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So faith makes the top three. The only thing being greater than your faith is your love. It's an important thing to remember. Then another thing Jesus said just before he was crucified, he talked to his disciples and he said, when the Son of Man returns, you know, he came to earth, he crucified, rose from the grave, went to sit at the right hand throne of the Father, and Jesus is coming back to earth. He's coming back to earth. And he said, when the Son of Man returns to the earth, will he find people that have faith? Will there be a legacy of people that continue to follow him and believe him and trust in him? Thank God 2,000 years later, the church of Jesus Christ is still alive and well. Can you say amen? So God is looking for faith. So I looked at all the dozens and dozens of scriptures about faith, and I, I, I just decided, well, all I've got time for is about five verses, just about five verses that I feel like are maybe five of the biggest, maybe not the biggest, but five of the biggest. And I want to talk to you about those five verses, and we'll move on. First of all is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And it says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. It's absolutely impossible. If you don't have faith, you can't be pleasing to God. You can't be in right standing with God if you don't have faith. Faith is the foundation. It's the ground you build everything on after that. So without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. So anyone that wants to come to God. So you have to believe that He is before you want to come to Him. And if you want to go to God, it's because you want to have a relationship with Him. You want to interact with Him. You want Him involved in your life. And you want to establish some communication in the context of that relationship. And so he that comes to God must believe that God exists. God exists. Do you realize that there's an increasing number of people in modern America that do not believe that a distinct God exists? God exists. He is real. And we must be accountable to Him. We must believe that He is a rewarder. In other words, He answers. He responds. We can touch God. And God will react to us. Respond to us. He will talk to us. He'll get involved in our lives. So this is the basis of it all. That we believe that God exists. And that we can communicate with Him. That we can touch base with Him. That we can interact with Him. That He is involved in our lives. This is what faith is all about. Then I moved to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul said in this verse, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. So Paul said, God's grace saved you. But it was when you believed. So when do you get saved? When you believe. Now, again, there's a lot of people that believe in God and they may even believe in Jesus, but they're not saved. Because the kind of faith that saves you is the kind of faith that transforms your life. That you begin to conform your life to what you believe. And so when you become a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, and as a result you commit your life to Him, you, become, you are converted and you become a Christian and you are a child of God. So believing is extremely important because it's at that point that you become a child of God and you are saved. Then I move to chapter 4 of Ephesians. Listen to what Paul said. There is one Lord, meaning Jesus Christ, one faith. That means the embodiment of the message of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel. One baptism, meaning one entrance into His kingdom, into His church. One God and Father of all who is over all and in all and living through all. And so Paul is just simply saying here that there's only one faith. There's not many faiths. There's not like many doors to get to heaven, many paths you can walk, but we all end up at the same place. Or many religions we can follow, or many gods we can serve, but in the end we all end up at the same place. That is a magnanimous lie. Jesus said, I am the way exclusively, the truth exclusively, and the life exclusively. No man can come to the Father except by me. You know, we're not being harsh or mean or condemning people, but the truth is the truth. And sometimes it's exclusive. Jesus is the exclusive Savior of the world. And there's no other way to the Father other than through Jesus Christ. So it's a great big huge lie that everybody's going different directions, but somehow we're going to all end up at the same place. You have to throw your Bible completely away to believe that lie. You, you have to discard the whole book. Everything in my Bible and yours denies the fact that there's more than one God or there's many avenues to God. There never has and there never will be more than one God or more avenues to God. And we have to keep that clear in our heart. 
Let me move on. 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 said, We walk by faith and not by sight. Sight meaning understanding, knowledge, information. And so we walk by faith. We go through things we don't understand. We go places we've never been. We have things happening around us that we don't like, don't want, didn't ask for, and don't fit with what we thought was supposed to be happening. But here we are. We walk by faith and not by sight. That means we hold to what we believe even when with our eyes we don't understand. We hold to what we believe and it doesn't all add up and it doesn't all make sense. And the, the balance sheets doesn't add up to zero. We, we just keep walking by faith. Life is full of twists and turns and, and unexpected things that happen. Not all of them are bad, not all of them are good, but life is full of, unexpect, of unexpected things. And we have to keep walking by faith one day at a time. The Bible teaches us that it's these tests, these unique and sometimes very painful situations we go through. It's all a test to see if our faith is genuine. Genuine. You know, if there's a genuine, there must be something that is less than genuine. If there's a copy, there must be an original. And so testing in life is what proves whether our faith is real, genuine, or whether it's something less. So when you go through painful, difficult circumstances, and it, it seems like what you were expecting and what you were reaching for and what you wanted is, is not happening, you have to stand in faith and believe God that somehow God's going to bring it around, and don't let your faith capitulate to the complexity of the circumstance around you. So we walk by faith, not by sight. Then I go to Matthew 17 and 20. Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you had even as small as a mustard, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move, and nothing would be impossible to you. Well, you notice the first thing he says was to the disciples, you don't have enough faith. You see, someone had come to them for prayer, and they prayed their best, but nothing happened. So they went to Jesus and said, it wasn't working, Jesus. And he said, you didn't have enough faith. So what I learned from this is faith comes in quantity. There is more or less faith. There's a little bit of faith, and there's a whole lot of faith. It's kind of like money. I need more of it. Can you say amen? Because more money is better than no money, and more faith is better than no faith. So faith comes in quantity. And our goal in life is to increase our faith and to build our faith. You don't start with great quantities of faith. You start with enough faith to be saved. That's all you can wrap your head around is there is a God. He loves me. And I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I accept Lord as my Savior. And Lord, I give you my life. And that's about all the faith you've got. But then from there, you just keep building your faith, and you just keep growing in your faith, and that's what I'm talking about today, how to build your faith. So it, faith comes in quantity. Then he talks, compares faith to a mustard seed. Now, a mustard seed is like this tiny, tiny, tiny little seed, one of the smallest seeds uh, there is. It, it's so extremely tiny. A puff of wind blows it away. You can hardly even see it. It's so very, very small. But Jesus said, if you just have a little bit of faith, just a little bit, you can move a mountain. And you can make things change in your life. And you can make things happen that otherwise wouldn't have happened. You don't have to have a lot of faith. So yes, faith comes in quantities. And we all want more, right? 
But you don't have to have a lot of faith. You just have to use the faith you have. And even if it's the size of a mustard seed, it can begin to change your circumstance and change the context of the life you're living. It just takes a little bit of faith. And so <clears throat> mustard seeds are small, but they grow. So faith is small at, and when it begins, but it grows. It doesn't stay small. Jesus would use the mustard seed for another illustration when he said this, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that is planted. And after a while it grows and over time it becomes a tree and the birds of the air, which relates to the nations of the world, will come and lodge in its branches. So faith starts small like a mustard seed, but it grows. And so my focus in yours is I want my faith to grow. If you look back over the course of your life, you can say, you know what, as I have walked with God, my faith has grown. You may look through a time or a season of your life when things happened and it was a hard and difficult time and feel like you may come out, have come out the other side with less faith. Because faith can not only grow, but it can be diminished. We have to make up our mind, we're going to build our faith and grow our faith and let that mustard seed become a tree. So I'm talking to you about how to grow your faith. Now, to finish that portion, he said, if you have faith just like a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from there to here. And he said, nothing will be impossible to you. So it doesn't take a lot of faith, but it does take faith. And whatever faith you have, if you focus it and you, you, you hold to it, it can move the mountains in your life. It doesn't take a lot, but it does take some. Now, what I've found is that in certain areas of my life, I have a lot of faith. I mean, I'm just rock solid, no fear, no doubt, just assured, and I've got faith in that area of my life. But maybe another area of my life, I'm like, God, help my unbelief, man. I'm just fighting off fear and doubt and fighting off negative thoughts. So it's possible to have one area of your life where you're very strong in faith and another area of your life where you're just fighting it. Anybody with me here so far? So the devil says, ah, uh, you don't have any faith. Well, you just call it like it is. Well, I'm fighting in this area, but I want you to know I got a lot of faith in this area. So don't let the devil talk you out of the faith you have. Just let the faith you have increase the faith you need in other areas of your life. So it's possible to have faith in one area and be struggling in another. And that's okay. Just keep building the weak areas without giving up the strong areas. So I want to give you three keys to building your faith. Three keys. First of all, you need good spiritual habits. I think we become Christians based on spiritual habits. We grow in our faith. We mature in God based on what we do habitually from day to day, week to week, and year after year. Your kids don't grow up overnight. They grow a little by little. Now, when they're grown, it will seem like they grew up overnight. But in reality, they grew a little bit, a long time period of time, and they grew up. So your faith will grow slowly, but you have to have good spiritual habits. Well, you know what spiritual habits are. Somebody give me a spiritual habit. Talk back to me right now. Prayer. First spiritual habit that we all go to is you've got to have a habit of prayer. It's got to be something you do perpetually. It's a part of your day. It's a part of your life. You've got to pray. What is prayer? Prayer is just talking to God. It's, it's, it's not complicated. It's just, it's just having a relationship with God where you can talk about anything with. 
You know, if you have a relationship and, and, and if, you know, if the relationship is good and, and the, the better you can talk and the more you can share. And if there's problems in the relationship, the more difficult it is to talk and to share. You know what I mean. And the same is true in your relationship with God. The, the pu- more pure and the, the more in agreement you are with God and, and the clearer you are with Him, the easier it is to talk to God or pray. The easier it is just to open your heart and talk to God and communicate with God. And remember that prayer is not just a monologue where you talk as fast as you can for as long as you can think of something to say. But prayer is talking to God and then listening and letting Him talk to you. Because as sure as you can talk to God, God can talk to you. And as sure as He can hear your voice, you can hear God's voice. You see, we're created in God's image. We are God kind. And we hear the voice of God deep in our spirits. And so prayer is a dialogue. It's communicating with God, and it's the most important spiritual habit that we have. What's another spiritual habit? All right, what about the Word? All right, I was getting a lot of answers there, but anyway, what about the Word? This Bible is very important. I mean, there's only two groups of literature in the world. There's the Bible and then everything else. This one sits alone. It's a living book. It's the only book God wrote. And it's the only book the author is still alive and can talk to you wherever you are about what he wrote. I mean, you don't have to get on the phone and find the author and talk to them. All you have to do is open your spirit, and the Spirit of God that wrote this book, inspired this book, will speak to your heart and help you to understand it. The Bible was not meant to be understood by casual readers. Come on, let me say that again now. Don't, be, don't misunderstand me. The Bible was not meant to be understood by casual readers. The Bible was made to be understood by people that have a relationship with God and let the Holy Spirit interpret it and translate it to them. It wasn't meant to be understood. So I hear people think, well, the Bible's irrelevant and the Bible is an old book and nobody knows what it means. Well, no, you don't know the author. And if you know the author, you'll be surprised how irrelevant this book is to your life. But when you don't know the author... It is kind of confusing, I admit. It is like, uh, where does the story stop and where does it end? And, and I realize that, that the, the Bible is, is not easily read. I see the Bible in layers. Like there is a layer that anybody that can read the language can get. Like, love your neighbors. You don't need, you don't need much help with that, right? Forgive those that do you wrong. Man, you, you don't need a lot of understanding. And so there is a layer of Scripture that anybody can read and anybody can understand, and it's right there. But, ladies and gentlemen, that first layer is only going to get you to the first step. You're going to have to go deeper. And the deeper you go in the Bible and the more relevance it has to you is going to be directly related to your relationship with Christ and your ability to let the Spirit of God speak to you through the Scripture. So learn the Bible. Now, um, you know, we got a lot of good help today. It's easier to have a good spiritual habit of learning of Scripture than ever before. You know, on my phone, I've got a Bible apps, two or three of them, and I've got all kind of translations and books, and I get a verse of the day, and I'm always going through Bible studies that someone else has written, and I'm learning from other people. And so it's just easier today. And all of our excuses, modern world, wiped them out. Technology wiped out all of our excuses. No excuse for not studying the Bible with modern technology. And so um, Bible study. The last one is fasting. 
And I realize that you can't fast every day all the time, of course, but fasting is still very much a part of a child of God's life. And here in the church, it's my pleasure to lead you in fasting in the month of January and the month of August because we kind of together motivate one another and we all fast and seek the Lord. Fasting weakens the flesh, that's the carnal nature and desire, and it strengthens the spirit, that's the godliness in all of us that wants to do the right thing. So fasting defeats the flesh and strengthens my spirit. Because you know you got a war going on all the time, do what's right, do what's wrong, do what's right, do what's wrong. Well, fasting helps to destroy that what's wrong, and fasting strengthens do what's right. So always fast and seek the Lord. It, it's about bringing your body under subjection, your, your, your appetite under subjection. It's about being healthy, being responsible for your health. It's all these things, and I want to encourage you in that way. The word fast covers everything from don't eat or drink a thing for a very long period of time to go on a restricted diet that has spiritual and physical benefits. So I want to encourage you to fast in your life. It's a good spiritual habit. Second spiritual habit. Uh, good worship habits. Good worship habits. Good worship habits start with a local church. Everybody needs a pastor and a local church. You're a planting of the Lord, and you have to be planted in soil. Uh, you've probably heard me give this illustration before, but it's like um, you have to be planted in the house of God in order to grow and flourish and to bear fruit. You, you can't move around all the time. Um, there are times we do move in life, but you can't move around all the time. You know, if I had a beautiful tree... Love that tree so much, I planted it right in my front yard. And so every time I'd pull in the driveway, there'd be that beautiful tree. And I'd think, wow, look at that beautiful tree. And um, but then after a while, I'd be drinking my coffee in my breakfast room, looking out the backyard and saying, man, you know what? I wish I had that tree in the backyard so I could look at that tree while I'm drinking my coffee. So I'd dig the tree up, put it in the backyard and sit there and drink my coffee and look at the beautiful tree. But after a while, I think about what a joy it was after a long, hard day to come to pull in the driveway and See that tree waiting for me. So I'd dig it up out of the backyard and put it back in the front yard. Now, how many of you know what would happen to that tree pretty quick if I kept moving it back and forth, right? Because trees weren't made to be moved back and forth. You've got to get them planted. You've got to take care of them, put them in good soil. So everybody needs a local church. Everybody needs a pastor, and everybody needs to get planted. Build your life around church attendance. Church attendance. Uh, we live in a 24-7 world. The way we live today is much different. Every year it seems to change even more so. But you've got to build your life around church attendance. You can't be casual like, honey, you think we're going to go to a church this morning? Well, I don't know. We're not feeling like it. Yeah, we better go because we didn't go last week, so we better go this week. You know, just settle it. Yeah. Just settle it. And so, you know, we're going to be in the house of God every time we possibly can. And we're intentionally going to build our lives around church attendance. Then there's worship. These are all worship habits. Worship. Now, worship is a big word. It's everything from giving in the offering to reading the Bible, study, praying. But I'm talking about prayer, praise, worshiping Him, adoring Him. Whether you're a, a macho man or, or you're a wonderful little lady with a beautiful little spirit, everybody's supposed to worship God. The greatest worshiper in the world was David. He was a mighty king and a mighty warrior. He cut, he cut Goliath's head off and carried it around like that. Uh, this guy was much of a man, but he was a worshiper. And so it's not about your personality or your gender. It's not about your age. It's just everybody needs to be a worshiper. I'm encouraging all of you men to be worshipers. Don't, don't have an image, a male image, that provides you to be a worshiper and to praise the Lord. Be a learner. I'm looking at all the Bibles here on the front row, and people got their phones out, taking notes digitally. All that's good. Come to the house of God to learn. 
come to learn. I want to learn something that's going to help me in my life. It's going to build my faith. It's going to help me get to where I want to go. That's what church is about. It's about learning. It's also about serving. There's just something about serving that puts you on the team, puts, you, puts it to work, being a part of it. It's about giving and taking. It's about, I don't, I don't want to just come and receive. I want to come and put back in. And that's what our dream team is all about. God bless our wonderful dream team people that make this church work every week. Can you say amen? amen. The last thing is good people habits. You need good people habits. Um, know how to build meaningful relationships and maintain those relationships over a long period of time. Uh, have relationships where you give in that relationship and you receive. Always try to give more into someone else than you take out. I think it's important that we identify a, a godly core of people in your life, a godly core. We've all, you know, we go to, we have family members that aren't saved. We have work associates that aren't saved. We have neighbors that aren't saved. I mean, we live in a world full of unsaved people by and large. But you have to have a core. You have to have a small nucleus, and these are godly people that encourage your faith, that help you build your faith, that help you walk with God, and you need to know who's in your core. And I can tell you that ungodly people are not in my core. doesn't matter where they work or where they live or even if they're in my family, that core has got to be godly people, and it's extremely important to your life that you manage that core well, and it will encourage your faith and help you to build your faith in God and your walk with Him. Can you say amen? amen. Okay, coming to a close. Um, <clears throat> now, <clears throat> glad to have my mom here today. She can't come every Sunday, but I'm sure glad to see her here today. But you know, Dad and Mom and uh, Irvin Marshall and Virginia Marshall, they were founding elders here when we started this church. And we, God bless them. We love them so very much. I want to tell you a story about Howard Clark. He's been with the Lord about 25 years now. A handful of you still remember him, but uh, he's a founding elder here. So uh, he went to Needland High School, and he was raised in a poor family. Um, my grandmother didn't have a whole lot, worked hard to feed their kids. Dad was born in 1929, the year of the Great Depression. This country just about starved to death during the Great Depression, for real. Then the Second World War started. Two older brothers went to war. One never came back. So Dad went to Needland High School. And they were poor. Mom went, to, grandmother went to church faithfully, was a solid, rock solid saint of God. But dad went to school, played ball, and didn't give his heart to the Lord and really wasn't interested in church. You see, dad had a blueprint for his life. His blueprint was I don't want to be broke. I want to play ball. I'm going to make good grades. I'm going to, I'm going to letter in basketball, football, baseball, and track. I'm going to win me a scholarship, I'm going to get me a degree, and I'm going to be a businessman. That was his blueprint. And so he worked hard, he led her in all the sports, and he won a, blue, and he won a full ride scholarship to Baylor University. Until the day he died, he was a Baylor Bear because he was so proud to get to play for the, the Baylor Bears football. So he graduated in 1946, 19, uh, uh, went, to, went to Baylor. Spent one year at Baylor on a full-ride scholarship. Came home for the summer uh, to work a little bit before going back in the fall. But my grandmother, who prayed for him his whole life, talked him into coming to church with her in our little Pentecostal church here in Needler. And I don't know who it was, but some Pentecostal preacher preached a fiery message and gave a big altar call at the end, and it was just more than my dad could resist. And he walked down the aisle of that little Pentecostal church, and he gave his heart to the Lord. Dad was radically saved, 
God answered my grandmother's prayer. But in the context of the group that he got saved in, strict traditional Pentecostalism, playing football or any other sport organized was worldly and completely a sin. And in that world, I know it sounds ridiculous today, but in that world, you either, you either live for God or you played football, but you couldn't do both. So here's the options they presented my dad. Howard, you can either live for Christ, quit Baylor because you can't go without a scholarship, give up your football dream, give up your dream of a degree, give up your dream of being a businessman, or you can give up Jesus Christ and go on with your own life. So dad had a blueprint for his life. He worked hard. He knew what he wanted. He paid the price. He got the scholarship. He made the starting lineup in the Baylor Bears. But then he got saved and he had to make a decision. Do I live by my blueprint? Or do I take on the blueprint God has for my life? Mom and Dad got married in 1948, right, Mom? Was it 48 you got married? My sisters came along faith and joy a little later than I came along last. 1983, we started Triumph Church. We've been here 36 years. And if this church has meant anything to you in that time, it all goes back to 1947 in the summer when Howard Clark threw down his blueprint and said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll give up my dreams. I'll give up my goals to follow you. You know, sometimes we can draw up blueprints that aren't God's will for our lives. Sometimes we have to rip entire pages and section out and send them back to the great architect and say, Father, you draw this like you want it to be drawn because I'm here to live the life you want me to live, not the life I live. If you're here today, you may need to throw your whole blueprint away, or you may need to let God make some serious revisions in your life. But one way or the other, we have to do God's will. We have to do what He wants for us to do in our lives. I ask you to close your Bibles. Bow your heads right now. I want to pray. Father, I'm just absolutely certain that there are people here today that this message has hit straight in the heart. Finish the work you have started. Put a grace on them to respond to the word that's been spoken. Let your love encompass them. Let your grace overshadow them. Let faith arise in their hearts. If they've never given their hearts to you, let this be their day. If they're on the wrong road, Lord, let them be the, this be their own ramp to get back on the straight and narrow. I speak a blessing on the people of God that are weak in areas of faith and you're, they've asked God for more. I pray that today would be an infusion of great faith in whatever area of life they need, an infusion of great faith in Jesus' name. I pray this by faith.